Magic Numbers. This is episode number 68 and today we're going to talk about the speed of one. Um, we're trying to analyze what makes this format so fast, why is it so fast, why people get angry about it being fast and um, also uh, try to see maybe what are the strategies that might help you to you know overcome the speed of this format and maybe use some cards that are actually pretty decent uh, in a slower game or actually make your games last a bit longer. But before that, a word from the sponsor. Uh, so, of course, this podcast is um, brought to you by mtgazone.com. And um, yeah, I write articles for them. Uh, J2S Josh writes articles for them. So there's plenty of limited content. There is a bunch of constructed content. And especially, you know, knowing anything about limited players, uh, you know, we are not going to develop most of the constructed decks. So uh, if you want a net deck and you know, uh, play some kind of event on Arena, that's perfect place to find decks that will be good for you. Um, I use it all the time for that. You know, some really good constructed players writing for that. Uh, Paolo Vitor, uh, a bunch of other people writing, uh, just go on there, click, click stuff, because if you click it, you're helping me in a way, because they do tend to like sponsoring me, and I want to keep it that way. Uh, but it's also brought to you um, uh, via Patreon. Uh, I have a bunch of new patrons that I will shout out today. Uh, so we have uh, on board, we have Brett, Mike, Eric, Michael, also known as uh, Mercurio Blue, Johan, Jesse, Pingus Pangus, and Ross Squires joining the uh, Patreon team. And uh, if you want to, uh, you can go to my Patreon. Uh, that's Patreon slash Sherkovitz, whatever. Um, and you can uh, join. One big benefit is that you get all the slides uh, to look through if you're listening to or just to remind yourself what was going on. You will have access to those slides and the presentations. But there's a bunch of other um, things that you can get uh, at different levels of Patreon. And uh, with that out of the way, let's move into the topic. Ha ah, no. Of course, there is a preamble. And this preamble is actually based on the uh, recent episode of Draft Lab. Uh, J2S Josh's and Florida Man's podcast, which had the title Cards That Data Lies About. And I understand the sentiment, and I know that we use shorthand all the time, uh, but I thought I might use it basically as a, as a soapbox moment for myself to tell you that, well, the data doesn't really die, lie in, this, in, in case of those cards that they mentioned, because they talked about cards that can be better than the numbers show. And it's true, cards can be better um, when, uh, when, than the data shows, but it doesn't mean that the data lies. It just means that uh, you maybe try to understand the uh, data in a different way than you probably should. So I think we shorthand way too often cards win rate uh, and uh, cards quality. And that's not true for many reasons. If you watch my previous uh, seminar, you will know that a lot of the power of the card in a particular format depends on the openness of the of the format. Like um, red cards have highest win rates in the format, and that doesn't mean that they are the best cards. Actually, when you look at the numbers and you analyze them carefully, you will notice that white is probably the strongest color in the format. The problem with white is that white is overdrafted. And then because white is overdrafted, uh, you don't have access to enough cards and you don't get always the deck that you would want to. But if white was open, your deck is going to be way stronger than anything that red can offer. So that's the uh, first problem that you, when you look at pure win rate in, in, in isolation. The second problem, and this is the topic of the episode, which I actually highly recommend. I mean, I'm just nitpicking here. But the second problem is that people don't always play the cards right. Um, and I think that it's not exactly all the cards that have the same problem, but there are some cards that maybe people play too often in the decks that they shouldn't be playing. Sometimes um, um, that will lower the win rate because, of course, if a card is played in a deck that does not work very well with the card, its win rate will drop because of those cards, um, because of those decks. But in some niche uh, homes with careful builds, that card can be a star in your, in your deck. And I'm hopefully uh, in a week or two, I'm going to do the archetypist uh, for this set, 
when we are going to look at those sub builds and we're going to look at what builds are particularly good with particular cards and um, uh, why those cards uh, are important in those and are poor in some other ones. Maybe I'll do a couple of slides that will be not strictly archetypes, but I'm going to do some something like archetypes that looks at a particular card and maybe I'll pick some of the cards from the last episode of the uh, Draft Lab podcast. Um, so the problem is that we are using the shorthand and actually what a win rate tells you is how good is the card in an average deck of a 17 lens user? That doesn't mean that um, 17 lens users know exactly what they do. 17 lens users are dependent on the metagame and you should look at the win rate as that. Very often there will be high correlation between card quality and, uh, and the win rate, but it's not a one-to-one -one correlation. There are other factors that you should consider. And especially in the moment when you think that the card is good and um, 17 lens data shows that the card is not so good. Um, if you're winning with the card, then you probably figured out how to use it properly in the right space. And you're actually utilizing the full power of the card while other people that also generate data for 17 lens maybe are using it in the wrong decks. And because of that, the win rate is dropping. So uh, always be careful about following the data when um, your experience tells you that the card is good. Now, in the reverse situation, when the card's win rate is low, uh, is high, and you think that the card is poor, then you should start thinking about how you evaluate the card. Because if hundreds and hundreds of players are getting good results with the card and you don't, then probably the fault is in you. Uh, you're playing that card in wrong homes and um, possibly lowering its win rate uh, if you're contributing to the data. So. Um, um, uh, so yeah, um, uh, that's that's how I imagine it. If if I think that the card is poor but the data shows it's good, probably I'm wrong. If I think the card is good but the card but the data shows the card is poor, probably the data has some caveats and maybe I do something right with the card and I should probably think what am I doing differently than the other people. Anyway, this is the preamble. Now normally I would go into the topic, but not not today. Because I finally got, uh, I, I, well, I finally, I, I got a patron that uh, has a high enough level that they can ask questions uh, in Mercurial Blue. So he asked the question this week, which cards gained most game and hand win rate over the first weeks of the format? And I decided to give a fuller answer than he requested. Um, first of all, I looked at uh, the card that I think is most impactful and had the biggest increase in the win rate in Venser uh, Corpse Puppet. The card started really poorly in the first week. It had like 53% win rate. Um, and in week three, it, uh, it increased to 58.8. So um, in this case, the card also is going slightly later in the draft. It's still a rare, so it won't go super late, but Alsa is around three right now, and it was 2.5 in the beginning. So uh, you can get access to Venser uh, much later. I think that if you're so lucky that you're already in the blue-black, um, you might get it quite late at pack three because no one is going to be interested. Now, of course, the problem is that blue-black is the poorest archetype in this format. Uh, therefore, uh, there is still risks involved in playing Venser, but uh, hopefully having Venser in your blue-black deck might mean that uh, you're favored to be better than the average performance of the blue-black in general. So that card improved the most uh, from all the cards that are relevant for the format because there were some like weird things like duress, increased its win rate by 7% or 8%. But um, first of all, it was starting from like 38% uh, game in hand win rate. And second of all, the sample size is pretty, uh, pretty small. Uh, the second card that I uh, wanted to highlight is Eye of Marcator. And that's because that's the highest relevant common in terms of uh, what increased between the week one and week three. And it started at 52.7, even though people were quite high on it. And then as the format progressed, People got even higher on Isle of Malkater, but the win rate uh, increased still by uh, 2.3 percentage points. Um, and I think that this is because uh, people played Eye of Malkater sort of at random in the first weeks. Uh, lots of people played a lot of um, Skull Bombs, and these cards turned out not to be so great. And I think that people streamlined the decks that contain Eye of Malkater, and that resulted in the increase of the win rate, even though the card is actually more aggressively picked now than it was in the first week. So uh, you don't have that access to it. But I think that people figured out that you want to cop uh, to uh, pair it with the uh, Mandible Justiciar. Uh, you want to pair it with uh, cheap artifact creatures to impact the board. You know exactly how powerful um, uh, other uncommons in the format are that will help Eye of Malkater uh, um, blossom. 
and you learn a bit how to play this kind of tempo aggro deck uh, in the artifact uh, blue-white. So uh, that's the second part of the answer to the question. And I decided that also I'm going to uh, pinpoint the uh, common that dropped the most in the first three weeks, and that's Gold Warden's Helm, the uh, three mana equipment that uh, makes a 2-2 for Mirrodin, and um, that 2-2 gets plus 0, plus 1, and it has a quip cost of 1 in white. Um, this card started moderately good at 54.1, but over time it dropped to 51.2. Um, um, I don't know why it did it, but I thought it would be nice to highlight that this happened. Um, I think the card is not just great. I mean, it's basically three mana vanilla 2-3, and this is not the format for a three mana vanilla 2-3. Um, and I think that uh, basically in the beginning, it was put as, as a 23rd card, maybe in very good decks. Later, uh, as the format stabilized a bit, you got better cards than this as your 23rd. So if you had to put it in your deck, it means that you're probably in the wrong seat. And then, of course, the win rate suffers. That's my hypothesis on that. So that's the answer to the question of the week. Um, and now, finally, we can go to the main topic, which is the speed of one. And again, this is a bit of a soapboxy moment, but um, one is a highly divisive format. And there were people that from the beginning were against this format and they were uh, complaining about it. And one of the biggest arguments against it was the speed of the format. People said, oh, it's so much faster than anything else. Um, and because of the speed, it's unplayable. Now, I do agree that one is not the best format in the history. I don't think it's like super bad. I think that it's just so-so. Um, but I think that the argument of speed is just a very easy to find an excuse. Um, and we should be more careful about picking those arguments. And I know that internet is not very conducive of uh, careful argumentation, but this podcast is, so uh, here we go. Lots of the argument on speed was based on either bad data because the first graph that was um, started this whole, oh, it's the super fast format was based on early access, which you shouldn't compare early access with the actual formats. Um, but later it was based on generic data. And looking at generic data is useful, but uh, it has its caveats. And we're going to dive a bit deeper into that. And hopefully by the end of it, you will understand exactly that this argument is flawed in many ways. It has some reasons. It's still a fast format. I'm not going to, um, uh, I'm not going to uh, uh, deny it. But I think that the argument based on speed is, from a, better, from a lack of a better word, slightly lazy. Also, you have to keep in mind, like many beloved formats were super fast um, and that doesn't disturb people. Uh, like all the Modern Horizons kind of formats are usually relatively fast. Cubes are lightning speed fast and people love playing it. So the argument that the speed is a disqualifying factor of a format, I don't think that it's a good one. I think that uh, we would use our time better to actually try to figure out why exactly is one not the best format. And uh, looking for those answers might be more interesting than... Um, than, um, uh, than just blaming on speed. I know it's easier to blame on something that is, uh, you know, you can point a graph and say, look, it's fast, therefore it's bad. But very few people like don't ask themselves, why is a fast format bad? I mean, what, what exactly makes it bad? I mean, it's still equal to everyone. I think that there are lots of other reasons for that format to be um, not, uh, um, not in my all-time list. Right, so... Um, finally, we got the access to the uh, public data on 17 lands, and I dug into it. And first thing to do, I calculated the speed of um, the speed of every archetype in the format, basically. So uh, this is the average uh, game length of the uh, each archetype, and we have the fastest one, which is white green, uh, average 8.4 turns. Uh, the slowest archetype is Demir with 9.06 turns um, on average in the game. Um, and you have everything in between. The four fastest uh, colors are uh, white, green, white, black, white, red, and white, blue. I Hopefully you can see a pattern in there. The white is just uh, a format most conducive of, of short games. Uh, then we have red, green, 8.6 turns. So just, just in the same, basically, uh, ballpark as um, Ors of uh, Boros and Azorius. And then we have a big gap and we start uh, the tour of uh, Sultai colors plus uh, uh, Grixis colors. So we have a uh, black green at 8.85, a uh, blue red at 8.86, black red at uh, 8.96 and uh, blue green at 9.02 and then Dimir at 9.06. 
The average speed of the format is 8.66 because people, 17 lens users are not uh, willing to play archetypes that have low win rate and therefore they basically shamelessly force Naya colors and maybe the white blue. Um, and these are of course the fastest ones. So uh, obviously because those color combinations are not played um, evenly, uh, the average is closer to the top end than to the bottom end of the format. Um, so yeah, that, that's that's really fast. That's really fast. I mean, when you look at it, um, when you compare it with the other formats where average is like 9.1, 9.3 uh, turns per game, we're looking at you know a full half turn, uh, half turn, uh, or even more faster than the recent formats. That's fast. But of course, that's only a part of the story. Um, first of all, there is a difference between how quickly you win and how quickly you lose. And this is the same graph uh, as before, the game length of each archetype but I split the games into the games that people lost and the games that people won. And uh, they are sorted by the biggest delta. So uh, uh, red-green has the biggest delta between the games that uh, red-green players won and, the, and, and, and lost. So red-green wins in 8.35 turns and it loses in 8.95 turns on average, which means they win the game quick, but they also have a staying power. So uh, even if the game doesn't go their way, they can uh, prolong it. Um, um, they can prolong it by quite a bit. Uh, then on the other hand, we, uh, well, then we have the white green also, it wins in 8.17 turns and loses in 8.66. So super fast, even faster than red green and does have some staying power because probably it can clog the board quite well. Um, looking at the quality of the green and white creatures and the power and toughness that they have. <clears throat> then we have white red, uh, black, green, and, and and so on and so on. It's, uh, those numbers are, you know, interesting, but not super important. What I want to showcase here is that um, blue, green, and blue, black are the two colors when actually win takes you longer than the loss. So uh, it takes 9.07 turns to win in blue, green, and 8.97 to lose, so 0.1 turn difference. And uh, the difference is slightly bigger in blue, black, 9.16 to 8.97. So uh, these are the two colors that win when the games go slightly longer, which means that these colors are should be at least in theory conducive of longer games. And um, if you're looking for solutions to how to make uh, this format, how to make a control deck in this format, probably you should uh, try to look um, in those colors for the answers, uh, blue, green, and blue, black. Um, but yeah, on average, on average, people win quicker than they lose. And that's important for the later part of the seminar. So when I started thinking about why is this format so fast, I came up with two hypotheses and I decided to test exactly those two hypotheses. First one, the, the trivial one is one is super aggressive. 17 lens users lose games faster than normally win and lost games are both shorter. That means that the format is just across the board um, fast and that's why um, the data shows that the games last a bit less than in other formats. But that hypothesis was not so feasible for me. I mean, I tested because it's the obvious one, but I think that um, there is one thing that points towards it not being true from the generic data, and that's the speed of the format. The faster the format, usually, the higher advantage of being on the play you have. And even though one is a fast format, the advantage of being on the play was not as big as you would expect from uh, from how fast the format is. And when I see that kind of thing, I'm thinking, hmm, maybe there are other reasons in this particular case for the disproportion uh, for the disproportion between speed. And that led me to my second hypothesis, which is one is fast because the knowledge of the format is disproportional. So 17 lens users win fast and mainly the speed of their wins against their opponents is driving the speed metrics of the whole format. So um, to think it, people that use 17 lands, they know the rules of engagement in this format. They know that you need to stack your deck with two drops. They know that you need uh, fast uh, um, early interaction. They know that you cannot keep hands when you don't have anything to do for first three turns. Uh, and because they know that, they build their decks appropriately, but less invested players that they might be playing against do not know that. And because they do not know that, um, you're going to have a disproportional matches uh, more frequently. And um, in those disproportional matches, people who know more and know the rules of engagement of the format are going to win because they built their decks correctly while the others did not. Um, and of course, this would also imply that uh, this is the format when basically 
fast decks are promoted and there is no mid-range while people that don't know the rules of engagement think that you might build your classic mid-range deck where uh, you don't even have to do anything in the first couple of turns or maybe you can do some aggro but not so good and then maybe you have some late game and um, if the format is strictly aggressive those decks can be disjointed because a bunch of cards in those decks will not do what you plan to do or what you should be doing okay so to test it i mean we're going to go there slow so you can see the thought process behind the testing. Um, but first thing I did was I uh, basically uh, looked at the histogram of how fast is the format by looking at um, turns that the games have ended. And here I have the histogram. Um, I did go over the question, Mercurio. I did go over the question. It's been answered. Uh, sorry that you missed it. Um, so. This shows what percentage of the games in the format end on each turn. And you see that basically no games end in turn one and two, which is expected. 0.4% of the games ended on turn three, probably some early concessions. Then we have like 1.5% of the games end on turn four, and then 4.7 in turn five, 11.8 at turn six. And then turn seven and eight, we got roughly like 17, 18% of the games end on that. That's the dominant. And then it starts dropping turn nine, 15%, turn 10, 11%, turn uh, 11, seven and a half percent, turn 12, around 5%, turn 13, 3%, and it goes to like small digits like uh, 1.8, 1.1, 0.7, and so on, so on. Uh, it's a beautiful graph because it also shows you how reliable the data is. Uh, you see a perfect bell curve, uh, slightly skewed, um, of those uh, times when the game have ended. Um, and, you know, that tells you basically nothing. It tells you that most games end on turn seven and eight, um, uh, probably like more than 60% of the games end on between turn six and turn nine. And then there is the, like a long tail of longer games. And uh, there are a few games when their early concessions are changing. But it will not tell you anything about uh, how this format is different from anything else. And it also won't tell you about uh, its speed and the reasons for it. So I decided to go a bit deeper in it, and I split it again. I split it in um, uh, in a couple of uh, different categories. So first of all, I wanted to show you a graph that explains the advantage of being on the play. Um, and these are the same two. This is the same histogram, but I split. Um, I put only the games where you are on the play and you win, and the games when you are on the play and you lose. Um, and you can see that uh, if you are on the play and you win. It will happen mainly before the turn seven, turn eight. Um, the maximum, like around 19% of the games that you win are on turn seven. You can also see that there's a big difference in, in terms of um, when the games end, uh, if you win and lose uh, in the first uh, five turns. So like on turn four, uh, you win 2% of the games that you win uh, are on turn four, only 1% of the games that you lose are on turn four. Obviously you started, it's very unlikely that you're going to be overrun by someone who went second um, uh, because you had mana advantage and you could play your threats first. Uh, it's even bigger uh, a difference in, on turn five when you win so roughly 7% of the one games are on turn five and only 3% of the games are um, won on um, turn five, uh, lost on turn five. Even bigger difference on turn six, um, you win 15%, 15 of the games are won on turn six, uh, only 8% uh, of the games are won on turn six. And here it starts to flatten. You peak at turn seven with 19% um, of the games uh, that are won on the play uh, are won on turn seven, and roughly 16 a percent of the games that are lost uh, on the play are lost on turn seven. And on turn eight, we got this moment when you swap. It's actually 18% of the games that, um, that, that, that you're on the play and you lose are lost on turn eight, and only 17% of the games are lost uh, on turn, uh, are won on, uh, on turn eight. And this means that uh, here is the advantage of being on the play. Until turn seven, you're just basically winning more games uh, uh, percentage-wise than, 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 than the percentage-wise you lose. And here you swap. And from turn eight, there is actually more games um, uh, percentage-wise uh, that you will lose, which means that the advantage of having that speed of playing your land first is gone. And the advantage of drawing that extra card is increasing uh, uh, after turn eight. 
and it stays there until turn like 17, 18, when, when you basically, at turn 17, 18, the one card that you drew also doesn't mean anything and the, um, uh, and the play advantage is obviously gone by now. So you have roughly 50% of winning the game uh, if it ends on the 80. Um, but if you compare this with the graph when you're on the draw and win and, and lose, uh, it's very different. And this is because I look at the play and draw of a 17 lens users. So uh, obviously 17 lens users have over 50% win rate, around 55, 56. Um, and because of that, they have a big advantage of being on the play. While opponents of 17 lens users, they win only very little more than the seven uh, on, 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 the, on the draw uh, when they are on the play, basically. So um, the differences are uh, pretty small there. Um, and then, of course, uh, uh, the advantage that the 17 lens user gain later is, is still there. Uh, so uh, when you look at it, on turn five, opponents of 17 lens user players win like 5% uh, of their games. But 17 lens users uh, managed to win 4% of their games on turn five, even though they are on the draw. And this difference disappears completely on turn seven. And from turn seven onwards, um, 17 lens users on the draw have an advantage. So if you manage to survive until turn seven, you're in good shape probably uh, for the game if you were a 17 lens user. Um, uh, so this is the composite of those graphs. And you can see that there is big difference on where the peaks of those histograms are between um, between between whether you're on a play or on the draw, which means that if we look at the speed of the format without looking at whether you're on the play or on the draw, um, you miss quite a lot of data because there can be very different reasons for uh, why you are the format is fast. And one reason might be that if you're on the draw, you just lose so many more games than um, normally. But it can be that if you're on the play and you're a good player, you're going to win a lot. But when you're on the draw and you're a good player, you're still going to be quite um, uh, quite okay. Uh, Mr. Larlar has a good question. Um, could one reason why 17 lens users perform better on the play than the average player is better deck building because they pay more attention to their moniker? I think it's one of the reasons. I still think that you know the biggest advantage uh, of being a 17 lens user is probably you just play better because I think play skills are the most important determinant of, of, of the win rate. But of course, they will build their deck well, and they will also know how to utilize their early uh, interaction, for example. Like some people might be tempted to use the removal a bit too early or a bit too late. Uh, and um, uh, a good player will know exactly that, OK, now I need to protect my life. I need to use my removal. Um, or, OK, now I can actually take some damage because I have time, and I will not use my removal. And this is especially important in the format with Hazardous Blast, when sometimes when you play like a red-green deck and you assume that they will have this Hazardous Blast, you might want to protect your life total a bit more because later in the game, they will not be able to cast Hazardous Blast and go for the lethal instantly um, uh, because you protected your life earlier. Uh, while maybe a less experienced player will not think of that and uh, because of that, they will, uh, um, they will uh, keep the removal for later and then just die to Hazardous Blast. Um, it's, it is a tricky format in, in both maths and in deck building, and you have to look at both uh, aspects, but I think you're very right that uh, a lot of that comes from the fact that 17 lens users are more invested players, more invested players consume more content, and content tells you in this format, you have to have two drops, you have to have early interactions, and they put that in their deck, while um, I know from the previous episode that a lot of maybe more casual players um, are... First of all, trying to force poison when it's being very heavily uh, drafted, and that might result in lower win rates because they end up with the substandard decks. Uh, but people chase the thrill of killing someone with poison, and also because they maybe build the decks um, as a classic mid-range, which maybe is not the most beneficial uh, thing in this format. Maybe you want to try to build this deck with the U curve, U mana curve, where you have lots of two drops and not much, and then a bunch of five drops to finish the game. Uh, and that is a successful strategy. But OK, I showed you those percentages. And I think that those percentages can be misleading because, of course, the game samples are not the same. Uh, people that use 70 lens win way more games on the play than they lose. Therefore, if you look at the absolute numbers, there you can see the full extent of the advantage of being on the play from a 17 lens user. Uh, you see that uh, on turn seven, uh, 
70 Lens users won roughly 32,000 games and they lost roughly uh, 20,000 games. So uh, that's a massive uh, advantage. That's a huge win rate. Um, and here you see that the advantage of being on the play stays until turn 10, really, in terms of um, in terms of how many games people win. And then basically from 10, 10, turn 10 onwards, uh, uh, you have the same amount of uh, wins and losses. So the win rate of 17 lands players on the play after turn 10 is roughly 50%. While before that, it's probably high 60s. So um, 17 lands users win a lot more games in the first turn, 10 turns. Um, on the flip side of that, when you look at the absolute numbers of um, uh, of being on the of being on the draw, the opponents of seventeen lands users win slightly more uh, in the first uh, six turns. But from turn seven onwards, the advantage is in the hands of the seventeen lands users. So uh, the differences are really small. Like when you look at it uh, on turn five, seventeen lands users win roughly five thousand game won five thousand games uh, on the draw. Uh, and they lost around 7,000, seven and a half maybe. So um, they have an under 50% win rate, but it's not by much. Um, and then from turn seven, uh, they actually win more on the draw than their opponents uh, uh, win. And the advantage is quite big on turn eight, nine, 10, 11, and then it sort of becomes even from 10, 12. So uh, 17 lens users on the draw, if they survive turn seven, are favored until the game lasts till turn twelve, and then become they, it becomes roughly fifty-fifty kind of um, uh, win rate for them. So here is the graph of a uh, sort of uh, this is where the uh, advantage of seventeen lens users on the draw is. Uh, it's basically those turn seven to turn twelve, while their disadvantage in the first few turns. So if they can survive to turn seven, they might actually pull it through. But then of course. This is, I think, one of the interesting findings. The games that last longer, like 13 and more turns, um, uh, there is no advantage of being a 17 lens user. The long games, probably because you play longer games against good opponents, uh, end up as coin flips, basically. Um, OK, so I thought, OK, we're talking about one in complete uh, disconnection to any other format. So I decided to compare it with the previous formats. And I used Pro because that was well, the most recent format, uh, uh, to be fair. And I looked did the same kind of uh, histogram of how what percent of the games end on which turn between the two formats. And it's a very clear picture. You can see that um, in one, many more games or bigger fraction of games is won on turns four to uh, eight. Uh, so when you look at on turn seven, for example, 17.5% of the games were won in one, but only 13% of the games uh, in Bro. And uh, played in, uh, well, finished, not, not won, ended, uh, because it also takes into account losses. As you will see, that's not such a clear picture when we split into wins and losses. But then from, uh, from turn nine, uh, actually um, more games ended in Bro. So Bro was going later, uh, basically games lasted longer, um, in one, games last shorter, and this is responsible for uh, more games and uh, in turns five to uh, five to eight. Um, in bro, more games and in uh, from turn in turns nine to twenty plus. So yeah, this is exactly the depiction of the speed of the format. Um, and from this graph, you can clearly see that one is faster. Um, so basically. To split it and test my hypothesis, I have to look at the games that were won and games that were lost. So I did the histogram of only one um, uh, and what percentages of the games were uh, won and lost. And from that, you can see that, uh, yeah, um, the blue lines, which are the wins, they are way higher in the first few turns. So uh, the games that 17 lands users won happen more frequently in the first few turns. Um, and then in the later game, they get slightly more bigger fraction of their losses. Um, and that again shows you that there is a disconnect. Uh, 17 lens users tend to win more on the play. Now, because we can do it, we can actually compare how the uh, win and loss histograms look comparing one and bro. So when we look at the games that were won in one um, and bro, you see the same thing as in the general histogram. So if you come back to the general histogram, turns five to eight, you had advantage of one over bro. And if you look at the games one, 
you have the same. Uh, you have an advantage of uh, games one in pro in 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 one in those first uh, four to eight turns. But then, of course, turn nine and onwards, pro players were winning way more games than um, uh, than than one uh, players. So, looking at this, wins look like the general histogram. Maybe even uh, more pronounced differences because you know. People won roughly 20% of their games in turn seven, and in pro it was only 14. Um, but if we look at the losses, there is a different twist. Actually, there were more early losses uh, in pro than in one. Um, on turn five, only 4% of the games were lost uh, on turn five in, in one but 7% of the games uh, in pro were lost on turn five. And uh, it continues in turn six, only 10% of the games were lost in one and 12.5% of the games were lost in pro. And then we start getting the advantage because obviously those graphs add up to seven. So if, if something is higher here, it must be lower there. Um, in turn seven to nine, um, one players lost more games and the pro players lost fewer games. And then it continues with a slight advantage, but actually from turn 13 onwards, uh, there is a higher fraction of losses in pro again. So it's like strange uh, that the bell curve of the pro um, um, time to win uh, kind of graph is uh, wider than the one uh, in one, where almost all losses are concentrated in a narrow window and then games don't last pretty long. Um, and then this graph made me think, wait a second. I mean, if I look at it, I'm eyeballing it, but it looks like the speed of the games that players lost in one and in bro looks roughly the same because here I can clearly say that these games are faster because there is like more games uh, that were won in the first few turns and way more games in uh, that were won in bro in the last turns. But here I see, okay, there is some advantage of bro here. There is some advantage of uh, one here. And there is again, some advantage of bro here uh, at the uh, in the longer games. So I compared this to actual averages of those game lengths. And this is a striking, in my opinion, striking graph. Uh, the average win in one is 8.3 turns. In pro, it's 9.3 turns. So it took way longer in um, uh, in pro to win a game uh, if you were a 17 lens player. And uh, this we'll talk about in a second. But when you look at the losses, average game length uh, in one that you lost was 8.8, .8, and average uh, game length in pro that you lost was 8.75. So it actually, the games in one that you lose are on average longer than the games in pro, even though one is a faster format. So why is the one faster format? Well, because you win much quicker. And this is very consistent with the second hypothesis I was showing you, that uh, the reason why this format is fast is not because it's intrinsically aggressive and uh, the games just last shorter, it's because 17 lens users have an advantage and they finalize the, their, some, some of their games much quicker and because they finalized their, some of their games much quicker than, than in other formats, the average speed of the format is going down. But it's not because you are being overrun so frequently. You actually play longer games when you lose. It's because you overrun the opponent much efficiently. So it is related to the disproportion between what 17 lens users are doing and what the general populations are doing, but not because um, of the speed of format generally. Because if the speed of the format was universally faster, I would expect that the loss win would look exactly the same like the win, uh, the, the, like the loss graph would look exactly the same as a win graph, while they are very, very different from each other. So um, long story short, I do think that the format is fast, but that speed difference is linked to the fact that 17 lens users were matched against people that had substandard decks, maybe mid-range decks that were trying to do things that are not good in the format, the opponents that were not following the rules of engagement. And because of that, the format is quicker because 17 lens users tend to overrun the people uh, in at least some portion of their games. Uh, Kiefer asks, so does this mean that the format is less forgiving to less experienced players? I don't think it has anything to do with experience, but uh, it might have something to do with knowing what the rules of engagements are. And obviously there will be probably some correlation between being experienced and knowing what the rules of engagement are and, and, and following the content. Um, uh, Deadless United 
Uh, a more general question is how is the multiple accounts uh, users affect 17 months users win rate? Is it marginal? Yeah, it's marginal. So people that have multiple accounts are, they have one 17 lands account, but it counts their individual accounts uh, differentially. And obviously lots of those people that have multiple accounts play mainly in silver and uh, silver and gold. And because of that, they will probably have elevated win rate, but uh, it's a small group actually. So uh, there shouldn't be. Uh, 3C open. Couldn't there be just there be a bias in the data like blue wants games to go long, but blue isn't so good. Ah, I'm glad that you asked this question. The next half of the presentation is going to be talking about that exactly. Um, Metallics 87. I just arrived, so maybe I missed this answer. Do you think best of three solves some of the issues with speed and the aggression in this format? I feel like one of the problems I've experienced is that best of one punishes you harder for even slight stumbles due to the set's unique rules of engagement. Um, I guess in part, I didn't do analysis on the uh, best of three, so I can't really confidently answer that question. Um, sometimes you have to say that you don't know. Um, but yeah, I mean, the data is there uh, for, for, for uh, analysis. I think that would be a pretty interesting one. I just didn't have time to do uh, best of one and best of three at the same time. But yeah, as I said, the speed of the format is mainly um, linked to the disproportion between the deck quality of uh, uh, 70 lens users and their opponents. So let's go to the second part of the, uh, of the seminar, and that's how to build slower decks that can still win. And then this goes back to um, a seminar I did some time ago. I don't even remember when, but um, was it? Hmm. I was before Streets of New Capenna. What was it? Maybe Crimson Vow, maybe, or maybe Midnight Hunt. When I was speculating about cards that make the games last longer and cards that make the games shorter and measuring that effect and maybe trying to figure out from that effect um, how to build more controlling decks. And actually, in that particular analysis, I actually calculated which decks want to be on the play, uh, on the draw rather than on the play and, um, uh, and, and got some interesting results on that. But I decided that because this format's speed is such an important uh, issue, um, why wouldn't we measure similar thing in this one and, and, and try to look at those cards? But of course, few people follow all my seminars, so um, I'm going to give a uh, brief reminder of what is going on and maybe change some names just because why not? Um, so I categorize cards into four broad categories and they contain a whole bunch of uh, different types of cards in them, but uh, generally there are cards that make the games longer and uh, out of those there are speed bumps uh, these are the cards that make the game last longer, but eventually you lose a bit more when you draw them. So yeah, they will sort of chuck something in front of your opponent, prolong the game because they have to deal with it, but because they have low impact, they will still not bring you closer to winning the game. Um, but there's also attrition threats, I call them. Uh, these are the cards that make the game last longer, but at the same time, as they prolong the game, they also increase the probability of you winning. And I think that these are like the important cards if you want to make a control deck. You want to have things that when you draw them, the game lasts longer and uh, you are more likely to win at the same time. Because as a control mage, you want the game to last longer and you want to take over in the later game. And you don't, because you don't have tools probably to kill quickly, so uh, there is no hope for you in uh, winning short games. And if there is no hope for you in winning the short games, you might as well try to make them last as long as possible. Then of course, there are cards that make the game shorter and there will be finishers. That's cards that make the game shorter, but also increase your probability of winning when you draw them. And there are traps that game, cards that make the game last shorter, but you lose more often. So basically by playing them, you actively damage your chance of winning the game. Um, and yeah, you probably want to avoid those cards in your deck. Uh, it's maybe, you know, cards that you play them, they don't do anything. And because you invested mana, a turn, and, and, and a piece of cardboard in playing something that doesn't do anything, um, your opponent did something that actually matters in that time, they gain instant advantage um, uh, and uh, will overrun you in this format, especially important to play cards that do matter. And, you know, don't get me wrong, the biggest trap in this format is the blue artifact for one mana that uh, comes with two oil counters and you can pay three, tap it and mill um, opponent for as many cards as uh, there are oil counters on that. Font of progress, there you go. Um, and I tried to play around that card a lot. I mean, I know it's a trap, but I still wanted to play it because for me, it seems like this card could have been excellent if the format was slightly different. 
uh, and would allow slower decks. And I thought, okay, maybe I can build some decks that are slower and, and that font can be played. No, no, I didn't find the solution. Um, maybe someone did, but that card is like one of the biggest traps. It makes the games last longer, um, but also uh, it, uh, it it actively, oh, no, it make, makes games shorter and actively damages your win rate. So you don't want to play that card unless you've figured out how to. Um, so Kifor says, I had someone get it up to six oil counters and they kept dumping into it, but died before they ever activated. And I think that's the big problem of that card. Uh, activation is too expensive for what, uh, it would have to be like maybe one mana activation and then um, and then, and then it would be useful because then you can actively deploy things, proliferate and milk uh, the opponent. But because it costs three mana, you would have to stop for a whole turn to activate it. And if you stop for a turn to activate it, you didn't contribute to the board. It takes long time to kill with it, so you probably don't have much chance. Uh, oh, uh, Urabresque Forge, someone mentioned. That's actually the best finisher in the format, uh, if you have it in your opening hand. Uh, that card just basically wins like 80% of the games when you when you played it on turn three. So that's like um, that's the definition of a card that massively increases your win rate when you have it in the opening hand. Um, and at the same time, uh, uh, at the same time, um, shortens the game. Okay. So here we have the finishers traps, uh, the speed bumps and attrition threats. Now how to calculate which ones are which ones are which. So first what I do is I calculate how long do games last when a card is in the deck. And then I calculate how long do games last when you actually draw the card. And I look at the differences. Um, Nepokoi, it was about the Urabrasque Forge the artifact that spits out an X1 every turn and grows every turn. Uh, so if I calculate how long the games last when a card is in the deck and I calculate how long the games last when I draw it, I can sort of normalize it after that and look at the differences between that. And obviously, if I have a card in the deck and average game lasts nine turns, but if I draw it, it lasts only eight turns, it means that this card actively speeds up my games. And then I can look at the win rate of the cards when I drew it and when I didn't draw it and also look at those differences after normalizations. And if I compare those, I can sort of like figure out which cards belong to which category because I know the cards that increase my win rate. I know the cards that prolong the game. I know cards that shorten the game and I know cards that decrease my game. So uh, when you will plot them on the sort of thing like this, here you have on the left, you have shorter game and uh, on, the, on, the, on the right, you have longer game. And here you have on top higher win rate, on bottom lower win rate. So things that have a higher win rate and shorter game when you draw them are the finishers. Things that have a higher win rate and make the game longer are the attrition threats. And longer game and lower win rate are the speed bumps. And the shorter game and lower win rate are the traps. Um, so yeah, um, and this is how it looks like for the format. So basically here we have our finishers. Here we have our um, uh, attrition threats. And you know, a bunch of things in the middle that are so close to zero that probably uh, it's not important to define them. And here we have a couple of the a um, uh, couple of the traps, and uh, here we have a couple of the speed bumps. Um, <clears throat> okay. Um, so in terms of finishers, <laughs> here it is. Urabrask Forge. That's the card that shortens the game the most by a whole turn when you draw it. Uh, other cards that you have uh, in that category are. Archfiend of the Dross, the 6-6 Flyer, Sword of Forge and Frontier, the, no, no, the sword. Front, the Breaker of Silence, um, uh, Luis Scott Vargas Invitational card. Uh, Shieldred, Vorinclex, Tyranax Rex, Dragon Wing Glider, the 4-4 Hasty Dragon equipment, Nissa. So all the first cards that shorten the game by significant margin are basically bombs. And then we have a couple of uh, uncommons in Slaughter Singer, Bladehold War Whip. Um, uh, Hexgold Hoverwings, Evolving Adaptive. So these are like the top un aggressive uncommons that you can get in this format. And still a couple of bombs in Miglos, uh, uh, Phyrexian Vindicator, and Zofandrel, the uh, Green Dominus. Um, so yeah, uh, they shortened the game, you know, like Urobras Fort by a whole turn, and that's a lot. I mean, this card really makes the game shorter. But at the same time, uh, the, all the others are roughly half a term, 0.4 terms. Um, in case of Zofandel, 0.2 turns. Uh, so uh, a smaller effect. Still, they make the game shorter, which is, uh, which is the point. Then when you look at the, their impact on the win rate, this is the difference between win rate and when you don't draw them and you do draw them. 
Um, like Urabrask Forge, for example, when you draw it, you have 6.5 percentage point higher uh, win rate if after normalization. But things like Nissa, almost 14 percent higher win rate uh, when you draw it. But it doesn't shorten the game as much as uh, as uh, Urabrask. So you know, probably the biggest bombs that you want to get early um, are uh, Archfiend of the Dross and Sheldred, um, because they combine the fact that they shorten the game by a lot, and also they increase the win rate when they are drawn by quite a lot. So uh, because of that, they are probably the biggest bomb in the format. Biggest bombs in the format. Uh, and you know, card like Miglos, it makes you win a lot, but it doesn't necessarily shorten the game by by so much. Um, in terms of the attrition threats. Actually, only six cards fulfilled my criteria that I was measuring. These are the cards that make the game longer. And we have a good mixture of commons and uh, and, and rares. Uh, we have Anoint with Affliction, uh, makes the game 0.3 turns longer when you draw it. And it's a common, so that's uh, super important. That's the two mana removal. Uh, Black Sun's Twilight is the card that prolongs the game by the most from the ones that actually increase your uh, win rate significantly. Uh, Black Sun's Twilight prolongs the game by 0.5 turns. And then we have Blue Sun's Twilight, uh, so two rares. There is also Tekuthal, the blue Dominus, uh, that also prolongs the game. You know, a 3-5 body will, will do that kind of thing with flying. Uh, and it makes you win more because the card is pretty strong. And we have uh, Charforger, the uh, black-red signpost uncommon, the 2-3 that makes a 1-1. One, one, and um, when creatures die, it gets some oil counters that you can exchange for a card somewhere later in the game. And Gitaxian Raptor, um, uh, which is the 1-4 uh, with oil counters. And I think that particularly important to remember that uh, Anoint and Gitaxian Raptor are probably your, the best cards that uh, you can put in your deck to make the games last longer. So in my head, if you want to build a controlling deck that wants to stay longer, because maybe you do have that Blue Suns Twilight, maybe you do have some inevitable bomb, even in the third color, why not? Uh, these two are probably the cards that you want to put in your deck, Anoint and Jitaxian Raptor. And of course, Anoint will not be an easy card to draft, but it means that you have to very highly prioritize it um, if you want to uh, increase your win rate. And Raptor should be relatively easy to get. I think that they go decently late because people are not so strong, uh, not so highly strong on blue. Um, so if you have those two, you have a package uh, that will let you games last longer. And then you can start building uh, your deck towards uh, a longer game plan. Um, in terms of the win rates, uh, Anoint actually when you draw it also increases your win rate by like 4%, which is not bad. Uh, but nothing compared to Blue Sun's Twilight, which has like a 9.2 percentage point increase on in your win rate when you draw it. So, you know, it prolongs the game by quite a lot and also wins quite a lot. And same with the Black Sun's Twilight. Uh, again, great rares to put in your um, 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 yeah, the, I mean, these are sort of like two bombs that that sort of uh, should be the basis of the control deck. Uh, and I don't think it's a particularly surprising thing because both of them play uh, a role of something that is a defensive card, but at the same time, it is allowing you to turn the corner, which is exactly what you want in a control deck because Black Sun's Twilight will kill something and return a thing from yours. And Blue Sun's Twilight will steal their creature, which means killing their creature, basically. And you get two copies of it, which is a, an absolute turnaround uh, of the game. Uh, so yeah, that's how you should think about when you're building those uh, control decks. Um, so we're getting to the end of the seminar. I, I think, I think I, I, I'm, I'm super proud of myself. I tried to make a seminar that is under three hours, and I, I think I will manage with, with quite relative ease. Um, Based on those numbers, I did something that I called slow decks calculator, but of course it's a misnomer. It, it is very well, uh, it's at the same time also the fast deck calculator, but since we want to look where the slow decks are, uh, that's maybe uh, why I named it like that. But it's basically every card that I calculated, I got this number of how does it impact the game length. Um, and if you have that number, you can basically calculate your deck's aggregate impact on the game length. And obviously, the decks that shorten the game the most are going to be the fastest, winning or losing, and the game, uh, the, the the cards that um, prolong the uh, game the most are going to be the ones that want to be the slowest. So you can basically add up all the cards in your deck uh, and the number uh, of the impact on the game length and um, and and come up with which decks slow are the slowest and the fastest and i did exactly that 
And then I did something where I looked at each decile of, of the, the deck speed and, and, and saw which uh, color combinations are most uh, abundant in, 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 in those uh, deciles. So for example, one is the top 10% of the fastest deck in the format. And when you look at it, 99.9% .9 of the decks in that decile are white. 45% uh, of that decile are white red decks. So white red is clearly the fastest archetype or the one that wants to be the fastest uh, in the whole format. Um, and then we have like 25% of uh, white black and white green and like 6% of blue white and 0.1 of red green. And then second decile, same story, four white decks uh, uh, are over 99% of that decile. So these are the between 10 and 20th percentage fastest uh, deck in, um, in the format. Um, Armoric, this calculator is based on cards in the deck because I'm looking at is the deck trying to be fast or is the deck trying to be slow based on those numbers or is it good in being fast or is it good in being slow? Um, so yeah, third decile the same, fourth decile the same. And top 40% of the decks are basically almost all white um, with maybe like red green starts appearing uh, at higher frequencies in the fourth decile. Um, so when you look at that, fastest decks, white, red, then the second fastest uh, grouping is white, green and white, black in terms of like what the cards want to do. And then blue, white is actually sort of mid-rangey. It can be very aggressive, but it also can have a slightly grindier uh, game plan. Then we have the sort of like slower mid-range in red, green. Weirdly enough, even though red, green has really fast numbers in terms of average gameplay, but when you look at those decks um, in what the cards are doing, they actually are more or less mid-range actually on the slower side. That doesn't mean they are controlling. It just means that they probably want to go into the board stall and then break that board stall with Hazard of Blast, for example. Um, and I think that if there wasn't that disproportion that we were talking about earlier, where 17 Lens users are playing against players that maybe don't follow the rules of engagements of the format, um, you would see that uh, red green decks are way slower than, um, than 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 they are currently because lots of those wins that they had very quickly were because the opponents didn't play anything until turn three, for example. Um, I mean, these numbers are just basically sorry uh, because uh, Ponto says I have a hard time believing these numbers. Ninety nine percent. Well, it is ninety nine percent because uh, if all the if, if if all the cards that shorten the game are white, obviously white decks are going to be represented in there. Um, it's you know like number is a number. It's been calculated. It has some caveats uh, that uh, maybe some of those numbers are because white decks are just aggressive and because of that they shorten the games when you draw them, uh, when you draw the white aggressive cards. And that that's about it. Um, so. Yeah, another mid-range deck that is spread relatively uh, uh, broadly is black-green. Um, that also constitutes around 20% of those lower deciles. And then we have three blue decks that are on the slow side, and uh, the majority of the slow decks are in um, in those uh, in those uh, lower deciles. So blue-black, blue-red, and blue-green. I think blue-black seems like the deck that has the most tools to make it slow. It doesn't mean that those decks will be good. It just means that they at least try to be slow. Card power might not be there, but the cards that they have will promote a longer game. And because they will promote longer game, you probably should align your plan with what the cards want to do. And that's, I think, the important takeaway message from this graph, rather than looking at the uh, actual uh, percentage points. That white decks will want to be uh, quick and aggressive. Um, red, green, and black, green will want to be mid-range. Um, Blue-white might have a pivotal kind of double build, one, one being more aggressive and one being slightly more on the um, mid-range side. And blue decks want to be controlling. The question is, do they have tools to... Um, uh, um, so blue decks want to be uh, controlling, but maybe don't have the right tools to be so in this particular format. But if you want to build those blue decks, you might want to think about exactly the cards that I was talking earlier uh, about uh, the Anoint of Afflic with Afflictions, the Blue Sun Twilight, Gitax and Raptor being probably the most key card as it's blue and all the blue decks want to be slower. And it's also not an artifact, so it fits perfectly in those non-artifact blue decks that want to be slower. Um, 
And obviously, you can also uh, uh, you can also recalculate in a different way. Um, here, I show what percentage of uh, each deck is in each decile, and then we see a similar picture, but it's slightly like sli slightly different. But you can see that you know thirty percent of the white red decks are in the first decile, and then twenty seven are in the second decile. This is the most aggressive archetype again from that metric, and then roughly like fifty five percent of the uh, blue green decks are in the tenth decile, so on the slowest of the slowest uh, part, and uh, and well almost nothing in the in the first three. Uh, so it's the same kind of picture, but slightly different approach of the um, of the uh, of looking at the data. And again, you see the same thing, um, black, red, black, green, red, green, slightly more mid-range on the slower side, uh, blue, white, slightly in the middle, but on the, on the faster side, white, black, white, red, white, green, super fast, and then uh, uh, blue, black, blue, red, blue, green, slow. Right, that's how far I got in this analysis. It takes ages to uh, come up with all those uh, numbers. So I'm just going to move to uh, acknowledgements. I would like to thank the 17 Lens team for uh, yet again releasing the data on the happiest day of the year for me when I can actually start digging into them. Um, so Viral Misnomer, Hululu, Grant Wu, ZTM, Johnny DWSC, who also helped me a bit with Pandas to get the data in shape for this uh, episode. So thanks to them. Uh, I would like to thank uh, Fake Jake Brown, uh, who is helping me releasing that in the podcast format. Uh, thanks to all the patrons. Thanks to MTGA Zone uh, for supporting my content creation. And uh, as we talked about the podcast, thanks to Assescu and Mana Junkie who provide the music that I used uh, as the intro and outro music. But for now, I'll see you next week.